coming at you live from the Empire of Lies, an oasis of truth, free speech, and dare I say it, broad democracy in the Empire of Lies, an oasis in the vast, dry, arid wasteland of the Biden administration. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. You know, Rod, I gotta say this. Uh, I feel we represent democracy a lot more than any other news channel, more than NPR, more than even Fox, because we present an actual diversity of viewpoints and no censorship here. Right, Rod? No, that's correct. That's correct. I was on mute. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's correct, please. Yes, I'll take credit for sure. We're democracy central. Listen, Washington, we are. Not CNN, not MSNBC. Oh, by the way, did you hear Tiffany Cross got let go by MSNBC? We were talking about her someone last week. She's a person Tucker pointed out, and apparently her contract was up. But did you hear Tiffany Cross from MSNBC is gone, but Joy Reid lives on? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did see that, Lee, and she was, I mean, she was openly racist on MSNBC. There's no other way to put it. You can't sugarcoat it. She was openly racist on it, on her uh, show, and I'm not surprised. Right. I'm a little surprised because just being bad and racist doesn't seem to be it. But uh, we got a great show today. First off, we're expecting Carmine Sabia because there's a Carmine Monday, and we've talked to Carmine, right? Yeah, he'll be on later on. Okay, so we'll be talking to Carmine later. And in the first hour, with news from Russia, the great Mark Sabota will be joining us. Then the second hour, with news from America, the great Tyler Nixon will be joining us. And we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. So how you doing, Rod? Big election tomorrow. Did you have a nice weekend? Uh, yeah, I had a, d- a decent weekend. I can't complain, Lee. How about yourself? How you feeling? I feel fine. I had an okay weekend. Mixed. I was fairly productive, though. I've got a lot of stuff done that I've been trying to get done on my studio. And it's very hard for me to do work in the studio because, number one, it's kind of a mess. I was talking to Jason Goodman about this because he's a nerd, too a tech guy. I've got a problem with a lot of cords, you know, USB-C cords, USB-A cords, audio cords, and they all get tangled up in a big rat's nest. Have you seen anything? Do you deal with that at all, Rod? Cord spaghetti? Yeah, when I used to have a desktop back in high school and uh, and a laptop and, and a printer, so you have all these cords and the uh, Wi-Fi router. So yeah, I, I remember what it's like would have all those cords. Now imagine navigating that blind, because that's basically what I'm doing. I can't really see well. It's a real effort to see. So if I na- navigate those, I'm often finding cords by feel. I just go, okay, that's a lightning cord, or that's a USB-C cord. Does that make sense? Right, yeah, I know what you're saying. Because a lot of them, I can't explain to anybody what that, I need that cord, you know, the one that plugs into that, that, that drive. It turns out there's such a cord as a USB-C-B, 
and it's a cord that I didn't know the name of. But if I say to someone, hand me the USB-C B, it sounds like I'm pulling a Fetterman. It sounds like I made up a cord, a USB-C B, 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 B. Thank you, I'm John Fetterman. You see what I'm saying, Rod? So I can't even explain it to anyone else. Good night, Lee. Right, right. So there we go. How's Fetterman doing, by the way? But Oz is still ahead, right? Yeah, no, they're 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 chastising uh, voters in Pennsylvania and you know saying the pointing out that the election is gonna the vote count is gonna take long is uh I don't I mean I don't even know how to explain it the fact that they're pointing out that 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 that, that there's gonna be some uh, corruption in this in this election as far as in Pennsylvania and the people are pointing it out the Fetterman campaign saying that these people are you know I guess election deniers because of that. Well, actually. We have a clip on that. I will get to Al Killer in one second. Al Killer, you might want to call back because we've got a short segment this time and Marshall Ball is coming up in a few minutes. So you might want to call back when you're at the top of a segment. Does that make sense? Have Al Killer call back. Just tell him to call back. We always get into a long conversation with him and we, we can't do it. So what were you saying about the, the vote count? Well, Biden's been prepping us since that speech last week, right? This is the narrative. A lot of times you can tell what the narrative is going to be because they tell you. Biden was up saying, why was he talking about how long the votes were going to take? I suspect they're up to shenanigans. Do you suspect that, Rod? Oh, yeah, especially in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I mean, I know Philadelphia like the back of my hand. Nobody can uh, say, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, I've been uh, just by circumstance and coincidence. I've been involved. My first grade teacher was the ex-wife of uh, John Street, the mayor of Philadelphia. So it's just things like that, just coincidence like that. I've been surrounded by it all my life. And the corruption in Philly is like uh, apple pie. You know what I mean? In America, so they go hand in hand. So let's play a clip about the Pennsylvania voting. How long it will take? Hit it. It's with missing or incorrect dates on the return envelope. So let's talk about this with the chairwoman of the Philadelphia City Commissioners, Lisa Dealey. She is part of a bipartisan board in charge of elections. Who better, right? She's a perfect person. better? 3,400 votes, that's a lot. What does this actually mean? Yeah, 3,400 votes is a lot, but even if it were one vote, it's too many. Yeah. Uh, Pennsylvania voters should have confidence that when they cast their vote, they won't be denied their right for that vote to be counted based on clerical errors or issues uh, that should that have no real relevance to their ballot. Uh, above all that, they should have clarity. So these decisions that come down this late in the game, they really uh, upset voters and they do more, more to reinforce people's mistrust in the process. And it's a real tragedy for Pennsylvania voters that this has occurred this late in the game and that we can't get common sense clarity for our voters. So there's no fix? What is a fix? Done deal. Uh, we have the lists available to voters on our website, and we are uh, urging them to come in to City Hall to replace their ballots if they find their name on this list. Uh, you know, it's it's a couple days before election. For a lot of these voters, they, they submitted their ballots weeks ago. Uh, they may be out of town or unavailable to come in. This really creates a, a really unfair disenfranchisement to thousands of voters, not only here in Philadelphia, but across the Commonwealth. 
And one thing we've been trying to do here is talk about what our audience should be expecting for tomorrow night. And one of the big aspects of that is the vote counting and that it is going to take a while, especially in Pennsylvania, especially in Philadelphia. So can you kind of just brace our audience for what tomorrow night should look like, how long that vote count is going to take? Your audience should know that we are going to work around the clock, as we did in 2020, to get that count done as quickly as possible. You know, in Pennsylvania, again, we do not have common sense legislation that enables us uh, to start the canvas or the count earlier. We we can't uh, begin to count those mail-in ballots until election morning. Uh, and, you know, in Philadelphia, at the same time, we are conducting a major in-person election with 1,703 precincts that were standing up for in-person voting. So tomorrow is a very hectic day. We're going to start seven o'clock in the morning and we're going to continue around the clock until all the votes are counted. So Command Central, do we have that clip with the uh, with France and Archie and Rumble? Because the other big news that I think is big for us, at least our cousin network, RT, is not available they banned it in the EU, right? But you could get it on Rumble. And a lot of people in our audience watch us on Rumble. So you know what's going on. France, a foreign nation, is trying to make Rumble an American company. Take down RT. Now, they can't say they're doing it to protect people from lies because they don't accuse RT of lies just truth from a Russian-funded source. So let's play the clip. Hit it. So across the Atlantic, France has now demanded that the video platform Rumble remove all content from RT, which is a Russian network. Now, to Rumble's credit, they've refused. They pulled their platform from the country entirely and are looking into a legal challenge to this demand. But, Glenn, how significant is it that we now have entire nations trying to bully private companies into censorship? Whether you like RT or hate RT or Al Jazeera or like it or don't, I mean, this is bizarre. What's really alarming about this war is at the beginning of the war in Ukraine, the EU, the entire EU, made it illegal for platforms to broadcast or to platform Russian state media. Now, maybe you like RT or don't. Maybe you want to watch them or you don't. That should be your choice. But the EU has said it's not your choice. If you're a citizen of the EU, you are not allowed to access that those outlets, even if you want to hear what the Russians are saying, because we've made it illegal for you to do so. But what they're doing now is they're reaching over to American companies like Rumble and they're saying, we demand that you take off the news sites that we dislike or we're going to deny you access to our markets. That means if you're an American citizen, you are now going to be told not by a government that you've elected by governments in Europe or China or Iran or wherever that you're going to be dictated to what you can and can't hear. And that's why it's so important or that Rumble, which is now a free speech alternative to YouTube, told the French government they wouldn't comply. Oh, I'm thrilled that they're doing that. Glenn, these are such important issues and we like to stay ahead of them, not behind them. Yes, I'll go a little further, obviously, than Laura Ingram on Fox went. They're trying to ban RT because they tell the truth. It's not, maybe you like RT, maybe you don't. Sure, you can like whatever you want. But the problem, I think, Rod, with RT is that it tells the truth. Do you agree with me? Yeah, like you said, Lee, they didn't give any reason why why Rumble should ban RT. And, and it's even crazier that France is 
they're not asking. They're pretty much demanding that uh, that Rumble take off RT, and I'm, I'm glad that RT stood up and uh, held the ground. And, and Rumble held, is holding I mean, the ground. Rumble, Rumble, you're right, yeah. Yeah, me too. The reason we're on Rumble is because they're holding their ground. Because if they cave on this, we got to find a new platform. Does it make sense? Because if they cave to a... What if China asked for this? What if Russia asked for this? If Russia said, we want you to ban Ukraine news, can you imagine that? Uh, No, I can't imagine. I can't imagine because they wouldn't do that. Right. I I can't either. But they're afraid of the truth. Now we get marks about it online. So let's go to a short break. And when we come back straight out of Moscow, the great geopolitical analyst Mark Stilbutter will join us on The Backstory. backstory and on the radio on 105.5 FM AM 1390. Joined now by independent-minded geopolitical analyst Mark Sabora from Moscow, Russia. Hey Mark, how you doing? Lee, thanks for having me. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be on the backstory. Well, it's always great to talk to you, Mark. And I I said independent-minded because you, you are. You're a very independent person. So let me talk to you about yeah, uh, I, I, tell, tell my tell my wife that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, things have their limits, and that's a smart one. But let me ask you, what do you think the status of the Russia-Ukraine conflict is in general? Because there were crazy rumors last week that Russia was ready to pull out of Kherson, and for instance, at any time. But I don't think that's what's going on. I don't see any real sign of that. It may happen if they're overrun, but I don't see the Ukrainians overrunning that region. What do you see going on, Mark? Okay, so uh, what I see all over the front, and and there is fighting along the entire Kiev regime Russian front in Ukraine everywhere, right? There are two big flashpoints, though, um, right? Well, three, actually, right at the moment. Um, uh, one of them is uh, Herson, the Herson area all along the stretch there. Um, and um, the other one is a, shall we say, a small Russian offensive uh, in southern Donetsk in the direction of Uglidar, where there has been the, a, a really high high level of engagement and casualties on both sides, and then a uh, continuing stalling Ukrainian uh, offensive um, out of the Kharkov region towards Lugansk. That is like the remnants of their big Kharkov push. Um, Everywhere, things are basically in a stalemate right now. Russia is still filtering in They've only filtered in uh, some some uh, almost uh, 50,000 of the 320,000 odd rever- uh, reservists uh, that it has called up. 
And those are the ones that they completed training quicker because they just get out of service in the last year or two. Um, and uh, those are starting to come in. And, and um, I do not think that that stalemate will last come uh, December. Uh, come late December, early January, um, and I will be looking for a big Russian uh, offensive uh, at that time. But right now, there's stalemate all along the front through a combination of this small, you know, tens of thousands isn't small, really, but there's 50,000 reservists that have reached the front yet, uh, coupled with the weather. Uh, that has stalled uh, the Kiev regime's mobilized offensives because it is a really the, the the fall this area time of the fall is a very wet season in Ukraine and Russia. There's a lot of rain, and uh, particularly in the steppe fields around southern Donetsk uh, and Kherson um, uh, as well. Uh, there uh, it turns into just a mud. It's just a mud swamp. Uh, it's it's pretty awful. There's even a, a Russian word for it, Rasputina, uh, and and basically it, it's not good military season going back centuries, and it still isn't. It really inhibits. Uh, and the third reason things well, there's actually four. The third reason things have stalled out is that um, Russia's strikes against the Kiev regime's electrical infrastructure have really inhibited their military logistics. Because, um, you know, as is normal in this part of the world, uh, in order to move military stuff around, you move it around on trains, right? It's it's far more efficient. Roads just aren't efficient to move the numbers and, and compete with the civilian population and bad roads and everything. So everything from fuel to ammo to artillery to tanks to troops, everything is moved around on trains. And the trains in Ukraine are powered by electricity. So you take out the electricity and the military is paralyzed because it can't get troops and artillery shells and ammunition and fuel and whatnot wherever they need to go to the front. And the fourth reason things have really stalled is that Western military supplies uh, in terms of both quantity and quality are really declining because – and you can see this all over the Western press, right? Uh, reporting uh, is is out there, uh, particularly in the things that the Kiev regime really needs: uh, old um, uh, Soviet-era uh, tanks, uh, APCs, infantry fighting vehicles uh, that it knows how to use, that it has uh, logistics and repair uh, uh, chains, uh, supply parts for. Uh, they've all been pretty much exhausted. There's not much left that the West can dig out of old uh, post-Soviet, post-Warsaw Pact countries and give. And in terms of things like the M777s, uh, the U.S.'s 155 um, uh, artillery pieces and the like that they've sent to Ukraine, they've also run out of those that they are willing to give to the Kiev regime without digging too deep into their own active duty military stops. So you'll see that the number of 155 millimeter shells, the artillery pieces to fire them has gone to nothing. And now they're looking at older, they're looking at 1950s era U.S. and old Soviet tech that they still have in museums, mothballed pieces, and they're digging them out because that's all they have at this point, because their military industrial complex is not geared up 
to to fight and to resupply this type of war. They've been geared up the decades for high high end items like big fighter jet boondoggles uh, and counterterrorism wars and the like, and and they just haven't been producing artillery shells and and uh, battlefield tanks in the quantities uh, that's needed and the types that Ukraine can can actually put to use uh, in the terrain there. Uh, so they've they've they're basically run out of stuff. And if you look closely at the item lists of what is being sent, both by Americans and Europe, and how that has changed over time, you see a really big decline. So those are the four big reasons. And I see no signs that Russia is retreating in Kherson. Um, uh, Russia removed the civilians from much of Kherson and the surrounding region because they intend to fight for the city. And that is what a responsible military does under the rules of war. If they're going to fight for a city, they have to get the civilians out. Now, contrast that with the Kiev regime, which Amnesty International has told us fights for every building, fights, uh, puts headquarters and schools and hospitals without removing the people, uh, using them as human shields, right? And you don't have to take my word for that. Talk to Amnesty International, who said the process is systemic. That is what they do. So there, Russia is getting the civilians out. And there's, there has been a lot of what I would call psyops warfare by Russia, whom Ukrainian generals have admitted have significantly reinforced their troops in the south there, where the Kiev regime really wasn't making any progress without truly catastrophic offensives to begin with. And they've built up uh, a sig very significant fortifications. So it appears this is what the, the, shall we say, if you look past the headlines and see what the Ukrainian generals are saying, they're saying it looks like a trap. It looks like the Russians are trying to lure us into making a big all-out attack for Kherson City um, and because they believe that they have a strong defensive position and therefore they'll be able to take out a much higher casualty ratio uh, because we would be vulnerable to that type of, of uh, uh, attack, uh, of that type of defense uh, as the attacking force. And the terrain, the reason of that, the terrain there is just step, and now it's muddy step. So it's flat, open terrain, and you have to charge across that field, uh, in, that step, in an area where Russia has air superiority, Ukraine has effectively, particularly in that area, no air force left whatsoever, and Russia has an artillery and a rocket system advantage. And if you've been paying attention uh, to the Ukrainians' own social media, the Telegram channels, you'll see that the casualties that they have suffered in the south there, because of exactly that, are horrendous. And large numbers of Ukrainian and Western quote-unquote mercenaries have been uploading videos themselves refusing to fight, refusing to charge into that because they say it's suicide. We've already seen all our buddies all in other you know, units be completely wiped out. We're not doing that. So that has helped really stall things there. And there's all this noise. Now, the Kiev regime does have a significant number of forces there. There's some 60,000 of them. But a lot of them are really poorly trained conscripts, territorial defense troops, and the like. And there are some of their top top 
you know, more uh, formidable units there as well. Uh, but with Russians now getting numbers there that approximate those Ukrainian numbers very close to that, that makes, uh, you know, you're supposed to have a much larging force for the attacking. And certainly without any type of artillery or air advantage, they would definitely need it. So, you know, the old, the old Admiral Akbar in Return of the Jedi spinning around in the chair yelling, it's a trap, it's a trap. Well, that's a P Russia appears to be trying to lure them into there because they would like to thin them out on the attack now so that then the numbers are much reduced and they can then go on offensive with a much smaller force opposing them uh, months from now. But it appears that both sides are basically trying to goad each other into making a big attack there. There's always small attacks, hundreds, thousands. Uh, diversion re uh, reconnaissance groups, probing attacks, that sort of thing. But there hasn't been a big push in the tens of thousands that are actually gathered there. But it could yet be a big all-out fight. But both sides are, are basically trying to, to goad each other on to making the first offensive move. Now, we had the New York Times actually float the idea of Ukraine evacuating Kiev. A Kiev could be evacuated. According to this yeah. thing, they're floating. Do you think yep. that they're actually going to evacuate no. Kiev? No. Are you going to evacuate a city of three million people to where? No. Okay. On what? Because they don't even have the electricity to run the trains, right? No. This is this is more PR, psyops warfare. You know, headline warfare. It has very. There's no that there. There is no uh, immediate need. Right. And there's nowhere to put them. Are you going to put them all where in Lvov and Poland? No, uh, this is this is attempt to gain sympathy, which I, I find very little. Uh, you know, I, I don't have in a great deal of, of sympathy for this because the people of Kiev were all too happy with the Kiev regime uh, shelling uh, East Ukraine. Uh, for the last eight years, continually cutting off electricity supplies, uh, heating supplies, uh, and the like there, and cutting off water to the Crimea uh, for for the last uh, eight years. Uh, so um, building a dam to cut off water, actually, a, a crime against humanity. Um, now the shoe is on the other foot, and it's the people of the capital of the Kiev regime that are, uh, you know, uh, on the other end of that karmic wheel. So n now, Mark, uh, you know, we haven't talked about this stuff, but I observed over the weekend that I think the two things, and the media is not really covering these, that will have the most consequences long term are the Liz Truss phone the, the information, not about the hack, I don't care about that, but the information it revealed, I think, is going to cause the UK a fair bit of trouble down the road. And I think, because I, I think that Russia won't be able to convince anyone in the West of that. But I think right now, behind the scenes, my guess is Russia is taking countries that will be swayed by the evidence. China, India, and even Turkey, and saying, we have proof the U.S. did this assassination, was behind the U.K., was using the grain corridors to get in the Black Sea, and the U.S. was behind Nord Stream. And it's conclusive proof for those who, who accept the proof.
of what the U.S. and the U.K. are capable of. Even I, I think everyone's already aware of that. I think everyone already understands that. I think everyone, even in Europe, understands that it was the U.K. and the U.S. or maybe with Poland as well, whoever was involved there, that it was their own allies that that blew up. The, the gas pipelines to Germany. I think everyone understands that. I think India and China and the rest of the world countries, they all understand that. They understand what was happening there. Uh, they understand you know, what happened in other situations here, like the Crimean Bridge. I think it's painfully obvious. I don't think it will have a big effect because everyone already understands that. I mean, they may have to, you know, pretend that it didn't, but I think everyone already knows that and the sides are already drawn and I don't think it's going to change the sides. No amount of evidence. And with such things, Russia always has to be very careful because with with providing intelligence evidence like any state does, because that risks compromising their channels of intelligence that they already have. So it's one of those. We know it. They know it. They know we know. I'd say, you know, possible a, a possible Proof of the opposite happening is Schultz went over to China, Olaf Schultz from Germany, and the rest of the collective West is not happy with Schultz apparently trying to make a deal with China to overcome some of the problems that their, you know, adversarial relationship with Russia is having on the German economy. So I I think Germany, I think some countries are actively looking for an alternative now. I, Maybe. I I don't think that that is so much a geopolitical option. I think that that is Schultz, whose his economy, German business is already such in a bad uh, situation, losing one of their you know their principal uh, trade partners, Russia, that was buying an awful lot of German manufactured goods. Um, and who they were getting the energy from to run the industrial sector and the metal materials as well. Um, and uh, they, they can't just they simply cannot afford to lose. I don't think they can afford to lose that, but they certainly can't afford to lose China uh, as, uh, you know, a recipient of German industrial goods uh, as well. Uh, it, it's, it's just not something that, that their economy can suffer. So I think it's, it's business told him that we can't even survive uh, if you follow the U.S. line on this. Let them decouple if they want. We've got to keep some level of business. But I think it's purely business at at the same time, you know, NATO is ramping up for, you know, military strangulation of China and the Pacific. And, and Germany not, may not be actively involved in that, but they certainly won't stand in the way of the rest of the European countries that will be involved in it. Uh, so I, I don't see this so much as ge- geopolitical looking for options or, or threatening to change sides or anything like that. I think this is sure economic survival and they're doing an absolute minimum effort that I don't think is going to be su- sufficient anyway. So yeah, I agree now. I think medium term, I think all bets are off to some extent because once Germany really realizes that the U.S. and the U.K. attacked their... They, don't, they understand that. I, th- I think the German people understand that, and I'm for sure know the German politicians know this. 
And I don't think you'll see any change, at least not until you see this current government out of power. And you probably need to see someone outside of the centrist parties uh, successfully take power, which the numbers, the poll numbers just aren't there yet. Now, I'd say the country that is further along in the road of splitting is possibly Turkey. Do, what do you think of the increased signs that Turkey is getting ready to possibly get rid of its NATO alliance? That Turkey is taking steps Zero. With, Zero. with Russia. Yeah, that's not going to happen. So? No, no. I mean, the, the entire Turkish military is... is, is uh, 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 dependent on the NATO arms. You can't just drop your entire military supply chains like that. And the the Turkey's biggest economic partners by far is the European Union. Now, Russia is a big partner and an increasing one. But, you know, just business from Russia and others is not to take up for that. Turkey is just doing what Erdogan does so well. He's playing both sides uh, against each other. Uh, you know, where he sees potential advantage, getting leverage where he can and and looking for whatever benefit for, well, first for himself and second for 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 his own country. Um, so um, I, 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 I see Turkey understanding that they are a geopolitical pivot point and Erdogan simply using that to play all sides of each other as the cunning beast as he is, uh, you know, for for, you know, short term benefit. Uh, uh, I don't think that he will ever definitively go one way or another. Now, that doesn't mean that Erdogan will be in power forever. Uh, there is, you know, a, a, a continued growing voice of opposition. The Turkish economy is really not doing very well. The Turkish lira is just a terrible, you know, uh, a lot of people have lost a lot of money, a lot of people have lost their savings and so forth. Uh, but no, I, I, I do not see a possible future where Turkey under Erdogan withdraws from NATO. I think that that's simply not going to happen. Well, may, could they possibly join the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, maybe not as a full member, but at some level, sure. That's the type of balancing that Erdogan does. But fully stepping to one side or the other, which would limit his options and, and ability to play each other, no. Do you think the West would push Erdogan? Because I think they would. I think they're this at this point they've done enough enough stupid moves that I wouldn't be surprised if they force Erdogan into a choice and then dump him. Now, I, 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 I think they'd be more likely to, to, to get rid of Erdogan, either through some type of color revolution, support for the opposition, or, you know, just a cruder, uh, more direct methods. But I, I think that is more likely. Now, now, what do you think of Jake Sullivan showing up in Kiev recently? A, a, a bunch of stuff. What do you think of those moves by the U.S.? Do you think the U.S. is ultimately, as some people say, wants to push Kiev into a better position to negotiate? No, no, that's not I, what this I, is I about at all. The U.S. has shown. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Mark. No, they admit that. I mean, there, there's a, a Washington Post out talking about exactly what the U.S. is pushing um, uh, the Kiev regime to do. And, and this is, I mean, it's not like 
this is what the U.S. government is telling us that the U.S. is doing, right? Because this was leaked from um, uh, the government intentionally, right? Or just not so much leaked as just told to the Washington Post by unnamed officials familiar with the, the matter. You know how it's done, right? The Washington Post is, is who you talk to. And they've told that Jake Sullivan is over there specifically. They, they're, they tell us that they are telling Kiev to publicly say that you're willing to negotiate while privately uh, not negotiating. And they're doing this simply to gain the sympathy of countries, uh, particularly in the EU, uh, you know, where inflation and um, uh, energy prices are, are skyrocketing going into the winter, so that they can tell their people that they are still keeping diplomatic options up open. I mean, and they say this right out here. This is from the Washington Post. In the article about it, the request by American officials is not aimed at pushing Ukraine to the negotiating table, these people said. Rather, they called it a calculated attempt to ensure the government in Kiev maintains the support of other nations facing constituencies, i.e. plebes, people, wary of fueling a war for many years to come. They they come out and tell us that this is what they're doing. This is how cynical it is, right? Like, like I don't know. Do they think the Europeans don't read the Washington Post, or do they not care because you know they figure that the local vassal rulers will will, will, will handle the people, you know, with this? So this is all just going through. Um, uh, this is make believe. This is uh, pretend. Uh, this is all for the PR the value in the info war like we're willing to negotiate a pinky swear i think what jake sullivan was really doing over there he's the national security advisor not the state department he is providing kiev with with plans uh for a next big counteroffensive push and, and telling them that, that they need to do it and where to do it and he's doing that in person so that there's been far too many breaches of of uh, communications uh, between Kiev uh, and uh, the United States and, and between the UK and the United States, for that matter. Uh, that's why it's delivered in person. So, Mark Svoboda, it's getting light in Moscow. We're going to have to let you go soon. But we appreciate you staying up with us. And as always... It's a great conversation. So my final question for you, Mark, it's going to be open-ended. And I like asking smart people a question that's open-ended because they say stuff. And I don't know, you've been so right about so many things. What has surprised you in this, since the special military operation started in February? What's been the biggest surprise to Mark Sabota? Because you've been surprised by very little. But what's been the yeah. biggest surprise, Mark? Um, the willingness of, uh, or, or you know, however much willingness, uh, I don't, you know, um, and maybe it's not fully willing, but uh, the uh, conscripts, the, the the you know, the Kiev regime has basically forcibly conscripted the entire country, right? No, no men between the ages of sixteen and sixty are allowed to leave the country. 
because of you know they're subject to, to multiple waves. I'm surprised that so, uh, so many of them have continued fighting for this regime. Not so much from West Ukraine, where I expect that, but from Eastern Ukraine and Central Ukraine, um, and how well they've done at um, controlling access to the information that these people get, what they believe about what Russia is doing there, about what happens uh, to prisoners of war and, and that sort of thing. But also, we, we saw uh, evidence of how this happens in Kherson just this week. A newly reconstituted Azov battalion was just sent into the back behind some of the faltering lines of uh, Kiev regime military units at the Kherson front as a blocking unit. I.e., you run, and our Banderite neo-Nazi uh, um, political troops will shoot you. <laughs> so, <laughs> go forward. <laughs> That's how it's done. But uh, the the simple brutality of that and the effectiveness has has surprised. Great answer, Mark. And it's late there, so we'll let you go. But great appearance, as always, Mark Zabora. Thanks so much. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we're taking your calls and Carmine Sabi is with us on Carmine Monday. Thanks to Mark Sabata, straight out of Moscow. Let's take a short break on The Backstory. Backstory and on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. And it's a Carmine Monday, so we're joined now by the great Carmine Sabia. Hey, Carmine, how you doing, buddy? I am fantabulous. How are you, sir? I'm okay. You, you getting psyched would, for this election? Well, I'd like to apologize for my tardiness. I had a breaking story I had to get done. Today's my actual day off from writing, but it is election season, so there is no day off. And, uh,. <laughs> And I am super psyched. And this is for guys like me. This is the Super Bowl, brother. This is the Super Bowl. And you think your team is going to win the Super Bowl? You By get a any ton of points. And you get no indication. What do you say the final count in the Senate is going to be? I say fifty-two. What uh, do you think? On the Senate, fifty-two would be my number. Yeah, fifty-two Republicans. I do. I think it's going to be a drubbing. I think that. Democrats have snatched a defeat from the jaws of victory in the Senate. Right. And by the way, I've seen I've seen real polling. The polling they're not showing on the news. And Fetterman is not as close as they want you to think he is. You mean Pennsylvania? Yeah. So Fetterman, the question I think, is he within cheating distance? Does he, that question make sense, Carmine? He is. He he is. He he can win. He can win, but the polling I'm seeing right now, it looks like yeah, it looks like you know the part of Rocky where the guy says throw in the damn towel. That's going to be the Democrats around 9:30 p.m. You think election night? Because Biden's saying that we're not going to know the election results for days. Yeah, which I think, means that they. When did that become? More. When, did, when did that become the new norm? When, that, when he said it. No, I mean that. How is that the new normal now? We've had mail-in voting and early voting forever. Why all of a sudden we used to know the election results when we went to bed at night for my whole life. 
until recently. Now that's a no. We're going to know in a week. What? Why? Listen, I believe the, the shellacking will be so bad that you will know Republicans control Congress on election night. Well, we'll go to phones in one second, but let's go to one clip first. Let me ask you what you think of this. This is Steve Bannon. We got that right, Command Central? Steve Bannon talking about the election. And I'm going to say, no doubt about it, Steve Bannon talks a good game. So I like the way Steve Bannon talks, and I think you'll hear why. Let's hit it. Democracy so much, you're going to get a democracy suppository on Tuesday. But that's only the beginning. That's a, that really, the, the curtain comes down on Act 2, right? Act 1 was Trump's first term. Act 2 is this, this crap we've gone through since you stole it and bragged about it in 3 November of 2020, right? The curtain comes down after Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, whenever they've tr- they run out of t- efforts to steal it again, because now we're prepared for them. And then on the 14th of November, the curtain will come up on the next act. Right. And that next act, 2023. And we don't care what you try to do to stop it. We are relentless. We are focused and we will never back off. Now, again, I I like and I like the way, you know, he's rousing the military background. He's got really shows, I think. What do you think of Steve Bannon there, Carmine? I I love it. And he's right. He's 100 percent. I love Steve. So, yeah, you know. I, I don't like some of the people like John Bolton that Steve bought in. So it's a long story. But, but yeah, I, I, you know, I like Steve, too. But I do resent that he brought John Bolton in. And I think he betrayed Trump. And I tried to tell him about Ukraine. And he would not listen to me. And I have the emails to prove it. But do you think he's right about this being the beginning of Act 2? starting Wednesday with the Republican-controlled Congress, Carmine? Uh, what he's act, calling Act 2. Act 2 as in Trump's Act 2? Yeah. Um, I, I'd love to have the confidence he has in that. I, I would have picked a different, and I love Trump, I would have picked a different, um, a different guy and uh, a different representative for us, different, a different candidate. But when... When Trump announces that he's in, everybody else is out. Nobody's going to run against him. Well, and, and that could be as soon as today. There's a lot of talk that Trump is on, r- really wants to announce. If he, that, I'm sure. that, if he announces today, all bets are off for tomorrow. Now, I'm going to ask you about what you think of Trump making fun of Ron DeSantis over the weekend. Don't like it. In one second. But let's but let's take a phone call first. 202-521-1320. Therese from California, you're on the line. What's on your mind? Hi, Hi Lee. Um, great to hear you and Carmen. Uh, or Carmine. It's Carmine, right? My mom called me Carmen. You're all good. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Great. Yeah, so... So Lee, um, I'm wondering what what is happening on the on the investigative reporting uh, the the journalism school front. We we need uh, an educator uh, who who can teach us all how how to uh, um, build a case and and you know we we need to hold these people accountable that are coming into office and. Uh, 
Yeah, like like the uh, uh, Biden speech. Oh my goodness! Talk about uh, it was just uh, is he setting us up for a false flag or what? I mean, like like what you guys were just talking about, saying that it's going to be three or four days or longer before we have the election results, and you know all this talk about uh, violence and <laughs> what yeah, is that? They're election deniers. They're election deniers. They're the biggest election deniers. Democrats are the biggest election deniers on the planet. Right. Well, well thanks for asking, Therese. The, the short answer is I realized that after this last set of strokes, I'm more exhausted. So doing things that I used to be able to do fairly easily is somewhat difficult for me. Does it make sense, Carmine? Yes. And I just got to be realistic about how much I can do. Every day, my first priority is doing this show. 100% of my energy has to go to this show. And so I've not been able to do work on it. Also, I would say we're at a really weird time for journalism. Journalism is now more dangerous than ever. Do you know what I mean, that, that Carmine? Uh, yes. Yeah, because it's not just it's hard to make a living. Have you found that? It's hard to make money doing news reporting because you can get shut down very easily. But also, we're seeing people like Bannon prosecuted. It's a dangerous situation. So I need to approach that. Imagine if you taught swimming lessons. Let me let me give an example, Carmine. You, you are a swimming instructor, and you are about to start a new class, but you realize lots of people who swim are getting eaten by sharks, right? You wouldn't say, let me get a new swimming class going. So I'm very hesitant to want to teach people journalism in this environment. I have to teach them self-defense, how not to get arrested or shut down. Does that make sense, Carmine? Yes, sir. And so it's very difficult. So. Uh, now, Carmine, what did you think of, he called, Donald Trump called Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSanctimonious yeah, over the weekend. Stupid. He did not need to. Nope. Ron before, DeSantis had not attacked before, him. Before an what election. What did you think, Carmine Sebia? Before an election, one of the most popular governors, Republican governors in the country. Why would you possibly do that? And this is what I'm talking about with Trump. This is what I'm talking about unnecessary. And uh, I think it's going to make many people, I would say him doing that is exactly why someone should challenge Trump. Trump needs to be challenged. He needs to have someone step up rationally and say, that's not a good move. This is not about Trump. This is about, and doing it before an election was insane. What do you think of that? I think it was stupid. Right. There's no way it could help Republicans. And we get it. You're worried about Ron DeSantis because that's what's going on. I also think it shows weakness on Trump's part. Do you think it shows there's a flinty, weak, insecure person? Yes, I do. But you think that, that Trump's momentum is such that if he announces, do you think he's back Ron DeSantis off? Ron DeSantis won't possibly take on Trump? Uh, I do. I do. I think that um, 
I think that Ron DeSantis won't because he knows it'll destroy his brand. And I think if he if he brought it up right, it could win his brand. But let's take a short break, Carmine, and then when we come back, we'll talk about that and more issues. And take your calls, 202-521-1320. We'll take a short break on The Backstory. Backstory, the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. And we're here on Carmine Monday, joined by the great Carmine Sabia as our special guest co-host today. And thanks so much to Mark Sabata for a great appearance in the first hour. This hour, none other than the great Tom Nixon. And now, doing an enthusiastic rendition of our show's name, Carmen Sabia, take us to the boom. This is the backstory. I gotta say, that was almost the Captain Lou level of excited. Hey man, you know what I was thinking about yesterday? I was watching in a commercial for CNN, right? And it goes a little something like this. Democracy is on the line. Control of Congress is up for grabs. Election night 2022. I was like, when did election night become WrestleMania? What's going on here? This was not election night. What? So, Carmen, we actually have, you'll have to top that one because we got one more boom before you get to the quiet part. So take us out and try to top your last boom. I dare you. Come on, Carmen. You can do it. Here we go. Election night 2022 is coming. Democracy is on the line. You must listen to The Backstory. You're a wizard, a true star, Carmine. Well done. So let's go to calls 202-521-1320. Guess who's with us? The great killer of owls, part of our community of callers here on The Backstory. The great owl killer. Owl killer, what's on your mind, buddy? So your uh, old buddy, uh, Ali Alexander, was on uh, uh, InfoWars today. Uh, um, And he's making it like he's in all these Republican think tanks. And like he's basically like, oh, I'm going to hold Kevin McCarthy's feet to the fire and all this other stuff. I wonder if I almost feel like we're getting... We're getting played in a sense. Now, I, I, I do think, you know, just the, the, uh, the, uh, what do you call it? The, just the, looking at a red wave. I, it, I think it would shock the system and like put people put the brakes on some of the crazy policies that are going forward. But at the end of the day, there's gonna, I, you see how the, uh, Tucker Carlson's been covering it on a daily basis that the. Diesel uh, fuel is going to run out by the 19th of November. And that's right after a Republican so-called red wave would have taken over. There, That's my fear is that there's going to be nothing left to rule. And they're going to get blamed. It's almost like it, it, they, they were, they were going to give the Republicans this victory. And they're going to blame 
whatever whatever policies on on the Republicans, like whatever comes forward, like the ramifications of the last two years on the Republicans. And I think people are just I think they have such short term syndrome in their head that they'll they will blame Republicans. Oh, you were in power when when the uh, our energy went down and when our economy collapsed. And I I don't I, I think that, you know, Trump is supposed to be announcing his run tonight. That's on the top of Drudge that he's going to announce tonight that he's running for president again. I think if they indict him, they will suck the wind right the the wind right of right out of uh, the right sails going going forward. And I I do I don't like what he was doing to Ron DeSantis the other night, but I I, I get it how he wants you know he wants to come out and separate himself from him because he sees Ron DeSantis as the only clear threat. And even even from the polling that I've seen, DeSantis is. You know, Trump is getting 70, 75 percent of the Republican support. So even DeSantis is getting about 10 percent. It's still double what anybody else is getting. So that's his only clear contender. Um, but I, I wonder if a Trump, because I, I don't want Trump to be indicted. I think it's all trumped up, you know, pardon the pun. But I wonder if it would be better long term to get. That. Well, well Alka, let me ask you, if we're judging people not by what they say, but the results, again, I think that's an important distinction. Do you see what I'm saying, Carmine? Yes. The way to judge someone is not what, by what they say, but it's by what they do, the results. And tr- Trump was not able to overcome in the first term. It may not have been his fault. He didn't accomplish a lot of stuff he set out to do. but. He didn't accomplish a lot of stuff they set out to do. And I think that's important. How would you rate Trump by what he did and not what he said, Carmine? B. I would give him a B. I think that's fair. And and I'll tell you yeah. why I, I why I would agree with that is because the economy was booming. But the biggest thing was he kept us out of a major war. And I think if Hillary Clinton would have gotten in, what you're seeing happen right now would have happened in 2016 or 2017. Definitely early 2017, because that's when she office. But Trump didn't take the steps to stop this from happening. When Trump was in charge, he could have said reversing the Democrats' policy on Ukraine. He could have said that. He could have tried. And I didn't see him. And let me say this, I would do a C plus. Would you argue real strenuously, either one of you, with a C, no, a C plus? You know, I, it's so hard, right? Because I, I agree, actually, his performance is probably a C. It's probably like, okay, you just, you just held them off enough. But then again, they held that Russia, look, his party was in power. And they were able to hold that whole Russia collusion thing over his head, which was clearly false. They clearly framed people. They framed a free a three star general. But you need someone who's a victim of that, or someone who can overcome it. But I, again, being, being a victim of that, okay. Trump has shown the Democrats can win. They've shown they can beat him. I need to see 
that Donald Trump can beat the Democrats. And sorry, he didn't show me that. And I will say the way Ron DeSantis, if he wants to run against Trump, what it'll do is I'll try this. Uh, it would say, I would not be running today if it weren't for Donald Trump. I have to acknowledge Donald Trump is the person who made it possible for people like me to speak the truth. But let's face it, Donald Trump's goals were good, but he was not able to make them come true. And I would say, um, ladies and gentlemen of America, we cannot take four years of a C plus president. We, the threat of the Democrats is too great that Trump should have stood up more for the First Amendment. He saw people like Jim Hoff get banned as soon as that happened. And he saw he can't go around and just pardon people at the end. He saw what happened to Bannon and Roger Stone, and he waited until they were convicted. He did not stop it. So I would say if he ran on that basis, we can do better. That's not attacking Trump. And then let Trump predictably attack him. And Trump can prove himself to be like a baby, and he will. What do you think about that strategy, Carmine? Okay, I will kill her. I think it's DeSantis's to lose. And just for the re, I, what I would, because everything that Trump is bad on, DeSantis answered like, nope, we're going to stay open. What he did, Trump didn't do enough to keep the country open. Nope, we're not going to mandate vaccines at all. He's attacking the, the, he goes, DeSantis is very savvy political where he goes after the culture war and he takes it on. And you're not like my, my only problem with DeSantis, it's not a problem. It's a, it's that George Bush wasn't a bad governor in Texas either, but he was probably one of the worst presidents of all time. And, but then again, a state like Texas pretty much runs itself. Florida was a purple state and DeSantis turned it red. I, I think I would not be surprised if it's 60, 40 right now in Florida, uh, red to blue. Um, like, I, I don't think somebody could have done a better job or had a bigger, because to be honest with you, a congressman or a senator, that's not really an audition for a White House. Basically, a governor is somebody that is running. Right. They're running. They're an executive. Yeah, they're their own executive. And, I mean, is there a more, I mean, you have a good governor up in South Dakota. She doesn't hold a candle to DeSantis. And I think if Tulsi Gabbard, because I think that's what they're aiming for, two war veterans teaming up where you'll have somebody from the left and somebody from the right, um, a male and a female. Well, also, well, my idea of the ideal VP candidate right now, I got to say, is Carrie Lake. And Al Killer, great call, but I got to go to a caller from Arizona. I think Debbie, is that who it is, Command Central? Debbie from Arizona, you're on the backstory. What say you? And what what do you think of Carrie Lake, by the way? I'm trying to be all things. And I'll tell you, it screwed up. And I grew up in the state of Arizona. I'm an Arizona native. Uh, we have got to get back on track down here with our values, who we are, and our conservatism. And I think Miss Lake has got 
a long ways to go, and hopefully, by the grace of God, the McCain Institute doesn't get in there and manipulate her. Is that honest enough? Yeah, no, no. And that should be a concern, because McCain Institute is awful, and they'll do it on foreign policy. The Goldwater wasn't. Goldwater Institute stayed on our values, our principles, our conservatism, and Doug Ducey wrecked that. And then Cindy McCain's running around with her Lincoln Project, and I'd like to give her a Lincoln Project. All right? So right now, we just got to take one day at a time, dear. Okay? Well, so what did you call about, Debbie? I, I, that was my question. But what did you call about? What I wanted to share was about true to vote. Okay, this is for all of us Americans that care about having fair elections. Is that true? The vote has an 800 number, and if you suspect anything at all is fraud, you can call that 800 number or contact your county sheriff because we want fair elections. We're not asking one party or the other. The other thing I wanted to bring up is the Ron Paul Institute. Ron Paul posted. Okay, about three things that the Republicans and God willing they would look at is one is to, to uh, there it was a bill passed in Congress. Uh, the Senate held it up was to audit the Federal Reserve. Okay, the other thing he said to do now my mind's going to go blank, but um, we need what well, we want out of this war in Ukraine. All right, there's enough of this nonsense and. Uh, you know, and there was a third thing. But you can go to Ron Paul Institute. Uh, Infowars had posted it. Um, and the other thing is just pray to God. Let's get right with Jesus, because in the bottom line, that's what this is all about. And us Americans, you know, I feel my father fought the jabs in World War II. He did not fight for this insanity that's going on today. And it's got to stop. It is hurting everyone. But, uh, Lee, I'm glad you're doing better. Carmine, God bless you. And know that God's in charge, okay? So, Carmine, what say you to Debbie from Arizona? What do you think? Well, I think you can't say that one word she said anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm with her. God's in charge. And that's, I think, a problem with this country is they forgot that. A lot of people so, forgot that. Uh, Let's get the clip with the Michigan AG. God may be in charge, but not in Michigan. Carmine, do you Even think it's Michigan. safe to say? Even in Michigan, he has the final say. So let's let's play a clip. Ready? Hit it. Yes. This is the Michigan it's Attorney General. It's not a problem General. for kids who are seeking a good education. Drag queens, okay? Let me say this. Drag queens, not only are they not hurting our kids, drag queens make everything better. Drag queens are fun. Drag queens are entertainment. Um, and you know what I'll say that was totally not poll tested? I say this. A drag queen for every school. That That is what would be fun for kids and lift them up when they are having emotional issues. Oh, yeah. Now, Carmine, do you know how says entertainment? Ping pong girls. Have you ever seen a ping pong ball show? I saw one in Amsterdam. And what children don't like a ping pong balls being shot out of a girl's snooch? Because that's entertainment. Is it not? Wow. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. Raw drag queens may be entertainment. 
not all entertainment is for children. There's some entertainment. I'll put it like this. I like the film Clockwork Orange by Stanley Kubrick a lot. One of my favorite films. It's not a Disney movie. It's a movie for adults. Correct. Does that make sense? Right? Yes. So yes. I won't argue that they're entertainment. And but they're not I'll tell you what they're not. Education, which is what I thought school was about. Did I miss something in school? Apparently, obviously I did, or wouldn't be working here, Carmine. What, what uh, say you? That's Is she up for re-election tomorrow? I hope so. But her party's definitely on ballot. But is that insane or what? Uh, unfreaking believable. It, it's just unbelievable. I, I'm praying that she's, she's up for re-election tomorrow. I'm praying that she's now, up for re-election. Uh, Command Central, who's on the line? Okay, thanks. 202-521-1320. Our friend Ingrid in D.C., welcome to the show. What's on your mind? And what about the Vote for Assange campaign? How's that going, Ingrid? Well, we got a big boost today because a friend of mine who has a huge following in Virginia published it on his uh, his uh, bulk email. So I hope that people take note. Um, and... What I wanted to say, though, also is, yes, it's it's hashtag vote for Assange, and uh, we're at dcactionforassange at gmail.com. But I wanted to, to make a comment about the people who've been fiercely bird-dogging at some of these election events. It started out being, um, or not election events, just town halls. It started out being the people for Diane Sayre who are, of course, uh, LaRouche Party. But last week in Virginia, there was some serious bird-dogging on, on the same note from Nick Branna of the People's Party, which is, I think, just pretty much opposite to LaRouche in many ways. And what they're doing is very... Very smart framing, because if, if you just get up and say we're against the Ukraine war, this is a very—everyone's um, brainwashed now. It's a very difficult issue to bring up. But if you stand up and say you're getting us into nuclear war, there's nothing divisive about that. Pretty much everybody's against nuclear war. It's very smart. And it's what—they know what to do when you're a very small— group of people trying to make an impact, uh, I, I guess it turns some people off, but they are getting noticed. Now, I would say the other issue that everybody's really against is the WF. How big an issue with the base is Klaus Schwab and the WF, do you think, Carmine? Gigantic, bro. Gigantic and evil. And it doesn't show up in polling because polling never asks people what do you think of the World Economic Forum? But I'd say for most people is a top issue on their mind. Have you seen any polling on that, Carmine? I, I, have, I have not, actually. Now, I always say, listen very carefully to what they're not telling you. And that tells me a lot. What does it tell you, Carmine, that you never hear any talk about the WF? But you hear a lot of people talking about it in real life. I mean, they don't ask it in polls, do they? I mean, but I think it's on people's minds. Right. And, and part of my proof of that 
is the fact that Alex Jones' book, The Great Reset, went to number one. You noticed that. His book on The Great Reset went to number one. And I don't think it was just because Alex Jones. Oh, by the way, apropos of nothing, let me point out that the audiobook is now out for his book, The Great Reset. But you know what? Alex did not narrate his own audiobook, which I think is a huge mistake. What do you think, Carmine? What do you mean, full audiobook? He's got an audiobook of his book, The Great Reset. So, but, you know, it's out on audio. But he did not do, he hired a narrator. Oh, no, yeah, I wouldn't have done that. And I guess it's a narrator that's kind of doing an Alex Jones impression, but not over the top. I, I want to hear Alex read Alex's book. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That Alex, he's a great talker. Why would he do that? I'm, I'm sure he was talked into it by somebody. Or he, or it may have been his idea, but no one had the guts to say, hey, Alex, what are you freaking thinking? Narrate your own book. So that's what I've heard anyway. I saw someone complain about it, and I see why they complained. That's insane. And I also don't like the fact that Ali was on there. But Alex doesn't ask me who he thinks I should hang out with. Do you have an opinion on Ali, Carmine? I think he's a grifter. I don't think he's even true to the cause. I think he's just trying to make some cash. And I think a lot of things that he organizes get other people in trouble. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like January, like January 6th? 6th? Yes. Like he was out there saying he would die for a stop and seal beforehand. Do you remember that? Yes. And, you know, I'm not, you know, that's a way to urge people. It seems brave saying he would die. No one's asking you to die. But he didn't even show up at the Capitol. So apparently not really that willing to risk himself. So, yeah, exactly. uh, and like Trump hangs around some people who I think, if you use the word grifter, that's fine, who are not in it and get him in trouble. And this is my actual argument against Bannon. If we use standard, what did Bannon accomplish? Bannon talks a good game. And if he was a speaker, if that was his job, if he was a spokesman for Trump, but I don't think he's really accomplished a lot of good. The things that I know he was responsible for. He got Trump elected. There's no doubt Bannon helped Trump get elected. Yes. But I don't think he was good after that. What say you, Carmine? Uh, I like him. I, I like Bannon, but. Because of what he says or what he does? I think he didn't belong in the White House, but I like him. Okay, so explain that. Expand on that, Carmine. What do you mean by you don't think he in, should have been in the White House? Explain why. Uh, I think for the same reasons you said, I think that he didn't have the best people around him. Who are you talking about? Trump or? Oh, well, I don't think Bannon brought the best people around. Yeah. And, and Bannon, one of Trump's biggest problems, another area that he is you know, able to be targeted. It's, it's saying Trump has been unable to bring in people to support his agenda. Let me put it like that. And that's the way I think DeSantis should put it. If he says, I will not bring in someone like Jared Kushner or whoever, 
if he picks on other people, says, I will not bring in people like Mike Pompeo. You know, what do you think of Pompeo? Do you think he was a good Trump appointee? And I would point out that Pompeo, when he was in charge of the CIA, a lot of the JFK material remained that was supposed to be put out under Trump's watch was held back. And I think the reason the CIA is holding back JFK material. Well, why do you think that has Carmine? That I think you listen. I think, oh, gosh, I think you're never going to learn out the truth about the Lincoln assassination, bro. So but but still, they were, according to Congress, supposed to release the material a few years ago. And Pompeo was in charge of the CIA, and they basically said, we're not going to release the material. We're not going to put it out. And Trump went along with that. Trump should have said, no, release the damn material. That's what the law says. So why do you think they held back material? Is it possibly for good reasons, Carmine? Gosh, I think it's possible. I mean, look, the possible good reasons are we don't want you to know we did this. So do you know what we're going to ask about that? Tyler Nixon, because he knows a lot about the JFK assassination. So when we come back, we'll ask Tyler Nixon why he thinks the CIA held back that material. And we'll find that out coming up. What's the name of the show, Carmine? This is the backstory. Backstory and on 105.5 FM AM 1390 in the Empire of Lies. Joining us now, great friend of the show, great patriot, great news analyst, Tyler Nixon. Hi, Tyler. How you doing? Lee, Carmine, it's good to be with you guys as always. Good to have you with us the day before what is possibly one of the most important elections in our lifetime. Am I being too hypey, do you think, Tyler? Or is it that damn important? Oh, it's it's damn important. Every election's important. It just seems like the, the with the direction the country's been sliding, that each one becomes more uh, imperative because what do we have to what we have what we're up against. So Tyler, now watch Carmine. Tyler really does know a lot about the JFK assassination. So I'll ask you generally, why do you think the CIA under Donald Trump? held back material. And I'll ask you more specifically, do you think it involves whether Oswald worked for the CIA? Because there's evidence that he was on the payroll of the CIA and the FBI. And specifically, do you think it also involves who really went to the Mexico embassy and said they were Lee Harvey Oswald? Because there's some reason to believe that the person who went to the embassy was not Oswald. So answer in however much detail you want, Carmine, because you really do know a lot about this. So if you think I'm nuts and you have a different theory, feel free to go into detail on that. But why do you think the CIA held back the JFK material? And what do you think they okay. held back? You want me to answer this or Carmine? Yeah, yeah, no, Tyler. Okay. Um, 
Well, okay. First of all, I think there are, there's never any one reason, single thing you can put your finger on why the CIA does anything when it comes to secrecy or uh, you know w- w- cover-ups, that kind of thing. First of all, um, I would say, um, generally speaking, the CIA wants the ability to basically overrule, countermand, violate any law they want, uh, particularly when it comes to breaching in their minds or otherwise uh, you know, disgorging with what was confidential information or anything that they just don't want released. So I think, first of all, it's just sort of like a flexing of muscle to show that, like, we can we can we can even you can even overcome a statute and a presidential order if we want to. We're not going to release what we don't we don't want to release. Secondly, now, um, let, more, let me stop you. There. Let me stop you on that and get Carmine. Carmine, what do you think of Tyler Siri? Because I think that's true. I think they do want to show that they don't have to answer to Congress or anybody. What do you think about that, Carmine? I think that is true. Yeah, I do. Okay. So, Tyler, go ahead. Sure. Number two. Uh, Sure. Now, now more to the specifics. So the usual excuse for not releasing anything is not revealing either sources or methods. Now, everybody who's associated in any way with the CIA at the time of the assassination or even in the wake of it is is pretty much dead. I, I, it's almost, I can't think of anybody, any key figures, anybody who was in the company at that time um, who's still alive. And if they were, they're they're they must be so they're older than Methuselah at this point. Um, so, the, you know, the sources deal, that's that's not a legitimate um, that's not a legitimate thing. And then the methods, I mean, come on, really. I mean, that's this. we have electronic surveillance now. We have digital surveillance. We have all types of, you know, the, the, the methods used back then are, would be nothing akin, even if they were to, you know, say that that's, that's the, the reason. So what do you have left? I think what you have, in addition, again, to the, the power move aspect is I think there's people who don't even know necessarily what they're dealing with in that information because it's so aged. And, and I'm, I'm on record as saying that, I think it's uh, you know it's a folly. It's it, to, to to think that there there's anything going to be released ever by any agency, the U.S. government, that is either a smoking gun or that in any way implicates any agency, particularly the one releasing it. The Secret Service itself burned or destroyed, otherwise destroyed, its entire record for the fall of 1963, rather than release it to the public. So you know these guys. I mean, not. I mean, that was just a clear, clear violation of law. No question. And they did it. And it wasn't like, oh, we accidentally did this. No, they were under the stuff was under order and not subpoena necessarily, but order to be turned over to the uh, ARRB, the uh, Assassination Records Review Board. And they burned it or destroyed it rather than disgorge it, which included detailed logs of the all the motorcades leading up to in the time of the assassination. So, I mean, really critical stuff that would have, uh, you know, revealed the frankly, the egg that deserves to be on the face of not necessarily the Secret Service as an agency, but certainly the people who ran it at the time, who I think were implicated or are implicated, were part of uh, the assassination, sadly and horribly, um, considering their role and, and the fact that no, none of these people were ever really held to account. Um, that being said, I don't think there'll ever be a smoking gun released. And it's, it's just a joke. I mean, first of all, people who were that uh, cunning as you would find in a James Jesus Angleton, these others, they're never going to, they would never be fool enough to like write memos 
or have anything. There's going to be no fingerprint documents, so to speak, that or tra- tra- trail of documents that leads to anybody. What I think, though, that it could reveal, and there's there's so many tentacles to the assassination and to that in the era to a lot of the hijinks going on. I think what they might be, uh, and then, by the way, they, they would overredact stuff too. So you know, there could be just nothing in there, literally. But I think there's also there might be things that reveal other. Uh, illegal or otherwise unsavory things that the CIA might have been involved in at the time, including and especially their their close ties or or working with the mafia, supposedly in foreign uh, matters, particularly Cuba. Um, and I think that's that that might be the only other thing. But I think it would be and tough, I, uh, considering you you don't have the principles now to to, to discern what really these obscure documents, which I'm sure they are, would even mean. I can so pretty Carmine, much. Carmine, what say you? I, I can pretty much. I'll come back to your Tyler in one second. What say you, sure. Carmine? I can. I can't tell you how, but I can pretty much confirm the mafia thing for you. But obviously, I can't. Oh, say yeah. how I know. <laughs> so tell uh, us what you can't tell us. I'm not going to let that one t- drop, Carmine. You you got to give us a hint. <laughs> uh, they were in. Oh boy. Um, they were heavily involved with Cuba. They were heavily involved with uh, the casinos there. Uh, they were trying. Well, that was going to be the payoff. The casinos was going to be the payoff. Um, and they were supposed to take out Castro. Yeah, that's, there's no question. I mean, I don't even think that's a matter of dispute in the historical record other than people yeah. who are trying to divert away from, you know, the, the true executive uh, planner of the assassination, which is the CIA. And I, I will say this. I know that and, and I know a few other things that I absolutely cannot say because I know a guy who was absolutely involved in it, who I talked to. So and wow, I mean, we've, we've had that conversation. So he was young at the time and uh, but he's a friend of mine. So, yeah, huh. I know that for a fact. Now, Tyler, well, I'd love you... to talk to you, talk to you offline at some point on absolutely. a secure channel. I'm, um, I'm cool on the phone. Well, I mean, I'm cool. And I don't think amazing. It, but I'll say this to you. Or I have this question to you. Do you agree with me that we're never even going to learn the truth about Abraham Lincoln? No. I, well, of course. Yeah. No, I think. I, and, it, and I commented or it's been my sort of position recently that, that it's interesting that, as you know, growing up and, and Lee, that the Kennedy assassination was a very palpable thing in our history in these the 70s, 80s. And even into the early 90s, uh, it was something that was like a live thing. The impact was felt. And then 9-11, since 9-11, it's unfortunately shifted into the realm of like historic mystery novel. You know, it it doesn't have the same – it's not viewed with the same amount of uh, interest and realization of like how much – what a profound event this was. And – Similarly, you know, the, the Lincoln assassination, I mean, like it's it's, you know, it's it's novel. It's fun. It's interesting to look into fun in the sense of, you know, it's 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 a got a lot of different uh, a lot of different theories around it and so forth. But no, I don't I don't think I don't think we will um, ever know that because of the distance of time. And there's so many odd. I've just actually came up with uh, or just pulled a document recently that said something along the lines of uh, the whole thing was a manufactured event. And how are we supposed to know? We we weren't there. I mean, we we obviously have contemporaneous reporting, and we know the the public picture of it. But who knows what really went on behind the scenes, you know, and and who was involved, and what booths or others, what their who they were connected to, and um, but we do know that and, it, it did. 
how it affected the country. Same thing with Kennedy. I mean, it was a coup d'etat, no question. And did what I say, was what I said accurate, Tyler? Is there some proof to indicate that Oswald was working for the FBI and the CIA? Is there some proof of that? Oh, well, there's definitely proof that he was an FBI informant. I mean, I don't think that's ever been, I mean, there's been plenty of plenty to show that. Um, and the CIA aspect, um, hmm, what you might find would be something along the lines of some sort of little scrap of evidence, for example, that he was recruited into the, the uh, fake defectors program by William Harvey, something along those lines, you know, and, and that was actually uncovered before the, well before the assassination. In fact, I think early, as early as like 1960 by an academic, I believe, or someone in the State Department, something along those lines, whose was, life was practically destroyed. He was drummed out of uh, public, uh, you know, pu- uh, public uh, employment because he was looking into basically these, these phony defectors. Uh, I say phony, I meant they were loyal Americans who were recruited to be, you know, become so-called defectors, and of which Oswald was one. And that, w- that really would be the only scenario that really makes sense when you consider Oswald's treatment uh, first of all, his his general profile, but also his treatment both before and after uh, he returned. You know, he he was not he was not in any way challenged. He was not treated as a hostile when he returned. He was in fact loaned money, given another passport, and you know, I mean, this guy was clearly an an intelligence operative, no matter what the level or how low level. But he was <laughs> and working under orders. Do you much orders. about that, Carmine? Because Oswald, of course, defected to Russia, and then. I- Actually, what? I'm afraid to actually say this, but I do know some things that are pertinent to this conversation, but I'm really afraid <laughs> to say that. Is anything we're saying wrong, though? Because it looks to me like, like, Tyler, this is what you're getting at. The way Oswald, a Russian defector, was basically welcomed back to the U.S. by the government and not, you know, that's bizarre. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he was not he was not given the sort of treatment that someone who defected would. Uh, and, and frankly, all the connections he had within, I mean, the direct connections to intelligence community assets uh, or whatever at the time have you. I mean, he just always seemed to be, first of all, working for Guy Bannister, working. Uh, well, let's put it this way. He was handing out leaflets from the Fair Play for Cuba committee stamped with the uh, address of Guy Bannister's uh, outfit, Guy Bannister being the former head of the Chicago FBI. Who was a radical, you know, hardcore uh, anti-communist, you know, like a real one of these real um, militant kind of guy, you know, like he was he was really serious about it and w- was working with the anti-Castro Cubans and all sorts of, uh, uh, you know, military or quasi-paramilitary operations and uh, trying to get you know communists in any way they could, especially Castro. And I mean, that's just that's just ridiculous to think that uh, that that's just a coincidence that he stamps uh, stamps what is it twenty something Camp Street onto the Fair Play for Cuba. I mean, come on. It, it just And it makes no sense um, also that, uh, again, Oswald was allowed to bring a wife with him back. I mean, you know, it's like that's not – they're not – they weren't – think if you think of the level of uh, vitriol and anti-communist fervor then, why the hell would they let someone back into the country uh, who had renounced citizenship with a wife and then just to go about their business uh, and give them a passport, wife, loan them money oh, – his wife had connections to the Russian military too. Is that correct? Well, her father was the, her father was an intelligence uh, uh, officer there in the go. Russian intelligence service. Yeah, a so, colonel. 
So it's, it's not like she worked in a Bosch factory or something. She was connected and welcomed into the U.S. And there's also a very bizarre, but a lot of evidence to it, theory of there being two Oswalds. There being Harvey yes, Oswald and then Lee Oswalds. And, and there's a lot of evidence for that, actually. It's amazingly doubling people. Or you know, finding doubles and stand-ins for people was a was a thing back then. Even if it meant you know, like body doubles for for assassinations, for faking deaths and things like that. And uh, I think even um, Frank uh, Sturgis alluded to something like that. Yeah, and uh, that's what I was getting at before. The person who went to the Mexico embassy and said, uh, "I'm Lee Harvey Oswald." There's reason to believe. That person is not Lee Harvey Oswald, right, Tyler? Yeah, absolutely. Even even in the in the early days, the Warren Commission and so forth, the photographs released of who they claim was Oswald and who visited the embassy at the time. This, I mean, you couldn't be more different from Oswald. This it looked like a big, thick, uh, heavy set guy, uh, you know, who looked like he could be uh, Eastern European. Frankly, clearly not Oswald. But you know, so all we really have are are supposed uh, eyewitness accounts, and I believe only from the Russians at the embassy. And I think one of the reasons that they didn't want the material released under Trump is because it was sense if the material, I think, had come out, it would have shown that the CIA was certainly up to shenanigans and would have made people question the deep state in 2018. Does it make sense? You can't yeah. have people and, 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 and ask. Yeah, and of all the all the people that they were going to if they were going to deny someone, I mean, you know, denying Trump in some way, uh, considering that they were behind undermining his presidency from the outset, if not before, um, I could see them just doing it just to just to confound him, just to, to you know, again, defy him and lessen his uh, lessen the, his sense and, and the sense of the country that he has absolute, you know, executive authority and control over his own, over the CIA, frankly, <laughs> over over the intelligence course, community. We have this major agencies. election tomorrow. And let me put you on the spot, Tyler. Come up with a number. So Carmine and I both think that Republicans will end up with 52 seats. If they take all six, they get 54. But I'm predicting they won't take all six. I'm, I'm not saying they'll lose them fair and square. Just that's what will happen. And I think Which ones do you think they're going to get robbed out of? I think there's a chance they get robbed out of Pennsylvania. Completely. Oh, I think it's I think it's very, very strong because of the nature of the way they, first of all, the sleaze that's there. Pennsylvania the, the ruthlessness of Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's very, uh, you know, Philadelphia alone. I mean, and you have Fetterman coming out saying that, uh, oh, everybody better be prepared. It's going to be days of counting. Yeah, days till you can get to your, you know, 50% plus one, um, which, you know, again, brings me back to my my thing. If you look through, I, I've often wondered this, why, how, in, in these huge elections, nationally or otherwise, how could you possibly constantly have a, a, a absolute split down the middle where, where it's that close, you know, in all these different disparate elections? And it, and it dawned on me. As I was watching an election integrity uh, seminar in, from Orlando a couple of weekends ago, that those are the elections they've stolen. You could go back and look at – I mean look at even 1960, one of the first ones. It was a razor thin by only 10,000 votes out of you know, 100 million or whatever. That doesn't happen statistically in reality. 
And it certainly doesn't happen as many times as it happens in so many different elections across well, the country. Kennedy, but when it does, Kennedy got installed, bro. Yeah. Oh no, no I, that election was stolen. There's no question. Richard Nixon was a mag, pretty magnanimous about it. So I have if to you say. understand who, if you if you understand who Carlos Marcello is, and I'm not going to get too into detail. Of course. Okay, then no, you understand course, yeah. why. And Marcello, who basically said in prison to his uh, to his cellmate at one point, "Yeah, we got the little bastard, and we got the big, big you know, it was his brother too." Talking about how they got Kennedy, both Kennedys. And I know some, I know some details about that. If you know, I'm being told the truth. Um, I, but, I bet you are. I can't imagine why anyone would make something like that up. You know. Yeah, but, but I think that also, also the uh, they the, put the, him the, in unfortunately office. the de- they put him off. Well, they put him in office, and they felt like he owed them something. And listen, if you make a deal with these guys, as I tell people all the time, I've been around gangsters my whole life. Mafia is never going to bother you if you don't get involved with them. They're not going to mug you walking right. down the street, not going to rob your house. Not gonna, just, if you don't get involved with them, nothing going to happen. But if you get involved with them yeah, and that, you owe them something, you better deliver. That's right. Yeah, now, and, and that's just, I mean, that, that, that's where their code of honor, I think, in a sense, people think, well, they're just gangsters. They're thugs. They're criminals. Yes, but they don't, they don't yes, but. harm anybody. They don't get involved with anybody who hasn't who hasn't stepped into the life themselves willingly and become involved. So it's, it's not like they're going okay. out killing what they do is still no, it's not. But I mean, but you know, they're not out, they're not blowing up airliners full of people like a Pablo Escobar. They're not out, you know, just robbing raping randomly. And in my lifetime, the safest neighborhoods I lived in were run by them. So yeah, no question. I mean, anyway, uh, there was definitely, they had an old world sort of uh, like, a, you know, again, a code of honor that wh- whether you thought they were thugs and gangsters and criminals and murderers, which many of them were, they still at least you could predict their behavior on, on some level that they stuck to something, you know, that was that was right. in a sense leaving innocent people out of the situation. Yeah, don't get involved and nothing going to happen to you. That's it. You know, don't yeah. get involved. Yep. And, and, and it was and unfortunately it was Joe Kennedy, really. I mean, he kind of sealed his son's fate when it went when, when when Bobby wouldn't back off. You know, I mean. They Bobby really, it's like they, they really set themselves up, you know, Bobby should have backed off. That was such a mistake, but, um, get back to Lee's question. He wanted your prediction. So I, you know, I look, it's, it's, there's, it, I, it's so hard to predict anything with it supposedly this close. I'm amazed that the polls, the Fetterman, I mean, just uncle Festerneck is even in the race anymore, much less Thank you. in leading anyway. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of rigging going on there, which is, I, it's almost like they want to elect, who was it who said, said you know, like the first, I think this was, uh, was this show, I don't know, the first like cyborg, you know, senator where this guy's like literally controlled from a distance, you know, like he, they type out what he has to say and he's kind of like reading it off and he's like brain damaged, you know, but he's like a literal puppet, a literal puppet. And I think 52 is a, is a, is what I would say um, is the most reasonable prediction. I mean, I'd love to be surprised. Let's see Bolduc in New Hampshire. I think that would be a great victory. Um, and also, uh, obviously, Oz, you know, like as long as we take the Senate, I guess, Fetterman, Fetter, Uncle Festerneck, he, he would be such an embarrassment yes. uh, and such an, an eyesore for the Democrats. It's almost like as long as we take the majority I don't think Oz is anybody's, you know, who's who's a true rock ribbed conservative patriot. I don't think he's any. I mean, come on, like he was in bed with Oprah Winfrey. Who no, then, I just want know, the number. No, no honor among thieves stabbed him in the back. He was big on all this transgender stuff. And look, I went to Tower Hill School where with his sister uh, uh, Nas Nas and his younger sister, and where he went to high school basically. Um, and 
you know, it's it's a very uh, Chris Coons went there. Mike Castle went there. Pete Dupont, you know, that like sort of it's very um, it's very establishment country club or wannabe, um, you know, blue blooded. Not not exactly your uh, you know your true MAGA, your true patriotic, uh, uh, hard hitting conservative constitutionalist just, types. You know, they're very I just they're want very the numbers, and, Tyler. And, yeah, no, no, we gotta we gotta do it. We gotta do it. I mean, I think the house is pretty. I think we're pretty much there with the house. But yeah. look, I mean, electing again a Bolduck, a uh, um, a Masters, I think that will make up for potentially losing. Um, you think? You know, losing, and I, and I think I think Trump needs to reconsider who he, he endorses in these cases. You know? Yes. So that Thank would be come up for him. If it wasn't well, for and I, listen, if it wasn't for Oz and Herschel Walker, this wouldn't even be a contest. Yeah. Well, I think Walker's right. a decent enough guy. I mean, he certainly would. I like him, better but, than, Yeah. But he's not. He's a hard get behind because of the way, you know, it, it, it's just he's a hard get behind. I like him a lot. But yeah, my other question for you, if I may ask it, uh, I think Carrie Lake wins. I think it's not close. I think the polling is BS. I think Carrie Lake annihilates her. Uh, annihilates. Agreed. Hobbs. Agreed with that. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think so. And she's run away with it. And I'll tell you what, though. My God, Hobbs. I mean, you see this woman. It's like, how do these people? I used to think, you know, I was I educated myself. I got all the right whatever credentials, I guess you could say, and never was able to break through. And, and of course, I lived in parochial, you know, provincial Delaware in in a you know fifty percent Democrat district. And when I ran for office, and I but I look at a Katie, I was like, how do these people even function as human beings on a day to day basis? Much less become high officials in in state in a state as big as Arizona. She is a complete moron. I mean, she can't even. I mean, I'm like, who is what? Like, what the hell? When I first heard her speak, because I always, you know, you hadn't heard anything. She is completely an idiot. I mean, I, so I mean, Carrie Lake is, but Carrie Lake has definitely just blown it out there. Um, and so that's good because this. it's about time. I think I think it's the stakes are high enough with the Democrats where we have to be realistic about Trump. We cannot make this. Republicans cannot make this a coronation. Where Trump just announces, and then everyone—that's what Democrats do. And I would say about Kara Lake, she would be the best VP candidate for Trump. Oh God, she would yes. be an attack dog on the media. But I don't think Trump's ego would allow him to put someone like Kara Lake or Ron DeSantis as his number two. I think Trump wants for number two. Somebody with no personality. That's why I liked Mike Pence. Well, what let do you me ask you a question. That? And what do you, and Tyler, let me just do this quickly, Carmine, because we're almost out of time. What do you think of Donald Trump attacking Ron DeSantis in an unprovoked aggression this weekend? Carmine, save me. One second. Go ahead. We'll go back to you in a second. Tyler? Okay. So, first of all, you know, I think I, 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 Definitely like the Ronald Reagan rule of you know, don't attack other Republicans, especially not in the eve of an election. Um, you know, there's plenty of time for that in a primary season, and I think um, I think it reflects the you know the sense in, in Trump's quarters that that DeSantis is a real threat and that and he has all the right stuff. But you know, it's like anything; these guys are not none of them is perfect. I mean, Carrie Lake was an Obama supporter, so you know, I need to see I'm going to need to see a lot more out of her before I'm going to jump on that train. And, you know, Tulsi Gabbard, pro-gun control, endorsed Biden. Everybody's all about her. And look, I'm I'm definitely someone who believes in redemption, who believes in I welcome those who have seen the light and want to come to the 
uh, conservative, libertarian, patriot side of things. But I'm also not just going to like welcome them to the top of the ticket immediately, uh, you know, until they prove themselves. And I think, uh, but I think Trump's doing so. Look, there's two theories. Look, you need you need someone who's who's not flabby and and, and by opposition by a knockdown dragout battle. You're going to test the metal of whoever's in it, including I, tr- including Trump on his way to his second term potentially, or DeSantis. I want to get and then one there's, you know those who think it's too much too damaging. So I don't know. I, I want to say one thing I think is important, and I don't know if you guys agree with me. I think you have to have somebody who says vice president is as far as I'm going to go. I'm never going to be president, so I'll do this and retire because I think Trump at some point after what he did to Mike Pence, in order to get somebody to run with him, there has to be somebody who says. A, I can never be vice president or get that high without Donald Trump, and B, I retire after this. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, obviously an ideal would be for them, for DeSantis and Trump, you know, to kiss and make up somehow and have a united front where DeSantis could be running for president in 2026. Um, excuse well, me, in 2028. Did have to make up? Did he do anything wrong? He didn't do anything. And I think DeSantis has uh, to avoid he- Trump if he wants to become president, honestly. He has to do what? Defeat Trump? You said no. Avoid him. Oh uh, yeah. You know, I think I think I think getting in the mud with Trump would be a foolish mistake of his. Um, I mean, I think he's got to respond when there's. But you know, I think he's he can take the high ground at this point. Um, but you know, he's also is is he not skull and bones? Or aren't they all? I've, I've heard. Seen you know, no DeSantis, proof for that. Okay. Yeah. Stone tells me that. Um, so you know, I mean, look. You know, he's he's walked the walk and talked the talk for sure. I mean, I'm I'm very, very like big on DeSantis and what he's accomplished. But he's also where, you know, where does he stand on foreign interventions? Where does he stand vis-a-vis the intelligence community? Uh, you know, he didn't have a lot of time in Congress to really take them on. And, is, and is, at the state level, he's not going to have to. So that stuff's going to have to come out because I don't we don't need another again, George W. Bush. You know, I'm going to say the, the, DeSantis the, is not my ideal candidate, but Trump showed his negatives, unforced errors. And that's, I think, the problem with Trump right now. What? Trump, I think, was pure in the sense he was definitely against the establishment as much as you could be. But at the same time, my God, all the, I mean, he just, he wanted to, on one hand, soothsay them and on the other, take them on. It's like, no, you can't, dude. You, he filled his whole administration with his enemies. And it's like, that's just not, yeah. He's, if he doesn't oh, learn from those mistakes. About- 15 seconds, you get the last word, Carmine. My issue is that he attacked a Republican three days before an election. I don't like it. Yeah. That's a good good point. So Tyler Nixon, great conversation as usual. And let's keep our fingers crossed for tomorrow. I think we'll be watching this for a few days. But I think by tomorrow night, we may know the Republicans, not final numbers, but that they've won. We'll see. Vote tomorrow. Vote Republican. I'm Lee Stranahan. Thanks to Todd Nixon and Mark Sabota and Carmine Sabia for another great show. And thanks to all our callers on The Backstory. Uh-huh.